Luke 2. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Good morning. It's good to be here with all of you and all of you. My parents were friendly neighbors from the 50s to the 1980s with our neighbors, Dave and Jerry Roller. Dave was my father, and my father worked on many projects sharing the property line and talked often about farming life and other neighbors. Our homes were about a quarter mile apart. Between these farms was a small pasture with an old open well my dad had discovered. He knew it was ringed with rocks and figured none of his kids was old enough or careless enough to go close to it. So he kind of forgot about it. Until, that is, the afternoon in about 1957 when five-year-old me disappeared from the Bowman farmstead without telling anyone where I was going. Now, I often spent long hours alone walking through our 80-acre farm's fields and streams and woods and sheep pastures, but I was always home for supper. That night, I wasn't. Now, because I was absent, I didn't see or hear any of the exchanges between young parents Paul and Ruth in their 20s, wondering where their oldest of three kids was. Then Daddy remembered the open well. His thoughts turned to horrible possibilities. He raced to check it out, but happily for all concerned, found it empty. About the time he got back to the house, a call came from Jerry Roller. She asked, Do you want to know where your son is? Come down and find out. My father tells me he had planned to be stern with me for putting him and my mom through so much grief and misery. But when he saw me happily eating soup at the Roller's kitchen table, All that kind of went away. Now, unlike the boy Jesus in today's text, 
I didn't skip out on a family trip back home from big church. But much like Mary and Joseph, my parents suffered the anxiety of parents who realized suddenly that situation is not normal and their child is missing. This sets off a cascading set of scenarios in any normal parent's mind, ranging from, no problem, they'll show up, to, that little rascal, wait till I get my hands on her, to, maybe something terrible happened. Now, my dad enjoys telling this story of his lost son because it has a happy ending, and because it quickly filled up the hole full of rock before anybody actually fell in. Mary evidently recalled this account of her lost son quite clearly, perhaps clearly enough to give the gospel writer Luke some rather revealing quotes from both her and her adolescent son. Luke says he interviewed many people before he wrote his gospel in about 90 AD. One likely candidate would have been the older, wiser Mary, experienced by that time with a deep mixture of joy and grief and resurrection. Luke ended up writing about 60 years after the beginning of the way from the book of Acts, a spiritual movement following Jesus as Messiah and Lord. This spiritual community grew out of Judaism, but from the beginning included all of races, all races and ethnic groups who responded in faith. Today's passage contains a single episode Luke or any other gospel writer was led to include about Jesus as a walking, thinking, speaking child, the only event captured between his miraculous birth and the beginning of his earthly ministry 30 years later. Luke wrote with a purpose to show that Jesus was the one, the one who fulfilled prophecies to be a Messiah for the Jews and the one to be Savior of the world, touching real lives of all manner of people. Luke wanted his immediate audience to believe that Jesus had the makings of a godly figure who would do supernatural things. Now look for words and images today that will be evidence for that claim. In this passage, the roles of the Holy Family change between the beginning and the end. And we see the basic elements of tension and action, conflict and resolution. If we can admit it, we see tension mounting between the Son of God and the handmaiden of God. According to Bible scholar Joel Green, in this case at least, um, acting as God directs and for God's purposes puts Jesus at odds with his parents' expectations. Now, I believe Jesus is in the business of disrupting expectations for even true believers like Mary, even now, even after all these years. To help us visualize this urban scene from an ancient Near East nearly 2,000 years ago, in a bit we'll look at the work of four artists. First, however, let's review the passage to see the key points of the story that we hold in common with every artist who has ever tried to capture this situation. In verses 41 and 42, we learn that Mary and Joseph are faithful Jews who annually attend the week-long Passover religious festival. Men were required to go. Mary's attendance shows her faithfulness and Joseph's consent, if not his delight that the whole family could go along, which many families often did. Luke shows they are good parents who are bringing along their son in his 12th year, apparently coming along as usual. When the week of remembering God's salvation and exodus and feasting is over, 
Everybody heads home on the roads leading out in all directions from Jerusalem. They walk together in caravans of groups of neighbors and friends and relatives. Probably the kids had their own groups that walked along the road. His parents head out, not knowing that Jesus had decided to stay behind. The fact they didn't miss him isn't all that surprising. It's probably a reflection of the almost certain possibility probability that he was with either neighbors or friends of his own age. But by the end of the day, they'd gone about a third of the way to Nazareth, a trip of 80 miles. For reference, 80 miles is 5 to 10 miles further than walking from here to Ashtabula or Canton or Wheeling, West Virginia. So day two has them fast walking back to Jerusalem. Can't you just hear Mary exchanging worried speculations with her husband about what might have happened to their son? I think Mary was a worrier. They would go over the fact that their son, given to them by God with a lot of fanfare, is nowhere to be seen. At best, they hope, he is roaming around somewhere in a city of 100,000 people, sleeping who knows where and doing who knows what. She asked, Joseph, are we in trouble? But they locate their son sometime the next day. They end up looking for him in the holiest place in the Jews' holiest city, the temple, a towering, impressive building of courtyards and rooms built of stone and fancy wood. While it apparently wasn't the first place they looked on that third day, not many parents would even think to check there at all for a runaway adolescent. Their missing son, it turns out, had gone to the chamber where temple teachers were known to engage whoever wanted to learn more about the Torah, about fulfilling sacrifice, about the laws and mysteries of God. The teachers and doctors of the law sat in Moses' seat as respected elders. Their older students sat on a low bench with the younger ones on the ground, literally at the feet of their instructor. The question and answer method described in verse 46 was the customary form of rabbinical teaching, teacher and learner becoming, by turns, questioner and answerer. Jesus must have been eager to be talking about God, and now more than ever before, when finding himself for the first time in his father's house. But why was he such a big deal to these elders? The writers of the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary believed there would have been far more to amaze the scholars in the depth of Jesus' questions than in his answers, as his teaching ministry was still years in the future. Can you hear him asking in a child's voice but with adult urgency, what do you think of the Christ? If David called him Lord, how is he his son? Which is the first and greatest commandment? And who is my neighbor? After three days of dialogue that fascinated the teachers and other students, was this house of God starting to feel like home for Jesus? Then who should show up but his young parents, astonished to finally find him and find him where apparently he wanted to be. But they are rather frantic by their own admission in verse 48. They say about what you'd expect of him. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. It wasn't them speaking, it was Mary speaking. Mary the mom taking the lead in confronting this uh, little runaway. His response, however, is not at all what they expected. 
Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And therein lies our story. Now we're brief on the facts of the case. Before looking at what the artists preached from their words through their paintings, it's only fair that we pause a moment to visualize this dramatic scene for ourselves. So in your and the um, artist's uh, canvas of your mind, what does this place look like? How do Jewish teachers dress? And Mary, now in her mid-20s, and Jesus at 12, about the age of Neva Peterson, how do they look? What expressions do you imagine for Mary and Jesus in their exchange that we've just talked about? So, Ron, let's look at image number one. How does this stack up with a picture in your mind? To me, Jesus seems so at ease, so comfortable with what he is saying. Others talk amongst themselves or looking on because of the buzz he is creating. And there in the background, in the center, are some people of interest. A couple looking with special attention at the boy. Now, does their expression fit what you heard in the text just a moment ago? I imagine that Murray pictured here asking Jesus rather breathlessly, Jesus, what were you thinking? Not really kind of grasping a situation. So exit that picture. The second image will combine this setting with a mother and son dialogue. Image number two. So look through that picture. These are also temple scholars, painted a bit differently, along with their assistants and young students. Their dialogue with a surprising boy with a bright red sash is interrupted by the arrival of his small-town parents. Now look at Jesus. I would rate this expression as being fairly close to a, to a, for a preteen who's wishing his parents would just go away. And notice his body language actually holding Mary away as she and Joseph try to pull him their way and pull him toward the world beyond the temple at right, toward the blind beggar and the carpenters in the background. Now, what might that be about? Question, does this Mary look to you as if she is asking him sharp questions? As she is painted here, I hear her trying to sound as pleasant as she looks, but inwardly pretty tense. Jesus? What are you thinking? So exit that picture. So by now, what are you looking to see in each image? There's two more coming. How do you think your perspective as a viewer, whether as a child or a teacher or a parent or a guardian or a grandpa or a a preacher, affects what it takes to look at an image to look real to you in a church family drama? Or do you find this exercise a difficult one if you have a hard time imagining Jesus as anything but the single image that you have of him in your mind? Image number three. This seems to show the same moment as the second image did, capturing Jesus responding to Mary. This time he's in a teaching pose, with an expression of patient explanation. To me, he doesn't look grateful for being found, 
or eager to leave. As painted here, Mary, giving him her stern mom look, has just asked him, Jesus, what are you thinking? Exit. And image number four. Now, finally, here's an artist who read the text and actually painted the emotion in these quotes, at least as it seems to me. The other artists I've shown seem to be trying to soften and change the text to show a more understanding and congenial Mary, a posture she may well have come to decades later through God's grace. But in this story, she's a distraught mother, sick with worry about finding her 12-year-old. He's been alone two days and two nights and almost three days in a big city. She hasn't slept well, she's tired and hungry, and she's laying it out, saying her words in probably the same tone of voice that you parents thought of when you first read the sermon title. Jesus, what are you thinking? Exit. However she asks it, Jesus' response stuns her. It's the point where Mary's relief at finding him and her puzzled amazement at his talk with the teachers crashes into a realization that may be even more traumatic for a mom. This sweet boy is saying that he really isn't my son anymore, even though he's my boy and will always be my boy. Mary doesn't like to have her expectations of Jesus disturbed any more than we do. Perhaps she remembered, in glittering clarity, Gabriel's promises and her own, but had been paying less attention to the more recent prophecy of Simeon at Jesus' dedication, the last time they were in the same temple. Perhaps she's even suppressed his final words. If you recall from Matthew's sermon, Simeon blessed the family as a whole, but then turned to Mary, directed the prophecy to her. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be, re be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Several commentators suggest in this story, Mary is forced to remember Simeon's prophecy and feels the first prick of that sword which is not the gleaming weapon at, at the crucifixion. Rather, it is the agony and fear a mother feels when her child has to break from the orbit of her care and expectation to follow the path God has laid out for them to walk, perhaps in pain and humiliation and suffering. Now it's ironic, even shocking, that this retort to his mother is the first time Jesus speaks in Luke his first recorded words as a human being, and the first time Jesus claims to be God's son. This declaration of needing to be about God's purposes is the climax to Luke's intent in this account, to show Jesus on the way to fulfill God's great design for the salvation of the world. And Luke places it at the concluding quote for a maximum impact. Jesus' statement is the conclusive pivot in the story of Jesus growing up. In these verses, he starts out as a son accompanying his parents to Jerusalem, but he ends up, in verse 51, being the wise and obedient young man, willing to walk home from his instant success at the temple, to walk away from that, and go home with his parents to Nazareth, and they go with him. It says in verse 50, 
but they did not understand what he said to them. Why would they not understand? Maybe Mary and Joseph were aware that their son would do what he would do and become, but thought it would be when he was much older than 12 years old. Perhaps Jesus hadn't shown signs of theological curiosity, suggests Pastor W.P. Satterley, and so his parents couldn't imagine him hanging out in a temple. Or maybe Mary and Joseph just, couldn't, just simply couldn't understand because they failed to see their baby was growing up. This story shows the difficulty of actually living with the messiness of the incarnation in your own home. How do you rear the Son of God through infancy, through his terrible twos, learning to read and play with the neighbor kids, or teach him how to make bread on the hearth and wooden shelves in the family carpentry shop? How could it have been a smooth fit for Mary and Joseph, especially after this event, to see their earthly son now saying and doing things that seem beyond his boyhood and beyond their own understanding of God and how the Yahweh of Israel would save his people? In the end, I have great empathy for Mary, at one level because I am a parent. A parent of children, each of whom has to find their ways to make their own declaration of freedom and has to find their ways to push against the overprotective embrace that is really more for the satisfaction and comfort of the parent than the destiny of the child. But at a more honest level, I have empathy for Mary because I, too, don't react graciously and with understanding when Jesus defies my expectations and flouts my sense of control and does it without even a hint of regret. I, too, am resistant to let Jesus get beyond the safety of the bubble I've created based on my personal image of him. Sometimes you feel a need to protect Jesus, as Mary and Joseph seem to hear, when that is the very thing that prevents us from seeing him in God's image and then submitting to God's providence. Jesus doesn't need our protection any more than he did Mary's. Do we allow Jesus to surprise us when he doesn't do what we expect? We're still trying to mother and father him based on our own childhood view of him, rather than as see him as a God-man who vanquished evil spirits, stared down religious zealots, and motivated his rascally disciples to become courageous witnesses. When's the last time you allowed Jesus to change you by going off script from your expectation? When your personal resistance fell away and you asked because you really wanted to know, Jesus, what are you thinking? Because I want to understand and I want to think like you and because I am yours. This week after Christmas, as peace and goodwill fade and holiday hangover looms, with a young parent, Mary, we might be tempted to ask, Jesus, why have you treated us like this? My prayer, rather, is that we yearn to pray with the mature Mary, who has grown full of grace and peace. Jesus, we are yours. Shape us as you must to serve your purpose.